Are banana fish big? Uh, what? Dale, don't interrupt the man when he's telling a story. No, no, no. It's fine, Robert. Um, I was asking about the story. What's fine. this guy's deal? I don't know, son. It's okay. Well, Dale, they are what's called a trophy fish. So, yeah, they're pretty big. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, anyway. Ah, damn it, Dale. All right, welcome to the second episode of Muskies on Tap. Welcome back to our loyal listeners. We have a special one today. We're going to be talking about swinging for the fences on some pre-spawn fish. The secret's out. I'd also like to thank all of our listeners on episode number one. We got some incredible feedback. Uh, we always love to hear that. If Even if it's not great or just like things that we could work on, please let us know. We're also going to talk about walleye opener from the past weekend. Max and I got up north and got in the boat, got to fish for some multi-species. Uh, we'll talk about that. And... Joining with us tonight, we have co-host, co-founder of Mussies on Tap, Suggs Fishing Pro Staffer, Max Manti. I don't know about a pro staffer, but I do appreciate <laughs> the, uh, the the unfounded accolade. Um, yeah, excited to be back. Episode two, episode one went way better than expected. Um, I think we set the bar pretty low, which was I mean, I don't know. I, I think we were, I think we were being realistic, but yeah, super, super pumped up with the the feedback and how many people ended up tuning in. Um, so hopefully we can just kind of keep this train rolling. Excited tonight to talk about a pretty special fish for me. Um, pretty fun trip that the three of us were able to do kind of uh, at random uh, this April. Um, so that'll, that'll be a lot of fun. Uh, other than that, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll pass it back to you, Gus, to, to introduce the, the the real the the real pro of the pod, big swinger. Yeah, I heard uh, I heard his Instagram DMs were absolutely flooded after episode one when he dropped his uh, location and occupation and 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 got to mix it up a little bit on the pod. So I'll I'll throw it back to you. All right, well let's uh, let's introduce the other co-founder co-host of muskies on tap also suggs fishing pro staffer brian echo thanks guys pleasure to be here tonight i did have to hire an assistant to handle all those dms from last week um the fame has gotten me a little bit but anyways i'm excited tonight to talk about our little up muskie send just a few weeks ago one of my favorite bodies of water to fish each year. And uh, luckily we struck some gold this time around. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Before we get too deep into that, let's just do a little recap from the weekend. Like I said, Max and I were out there. We, uh, for a while there, we were, you know, thinking maybe that the ice wasn't going to come off. And then lo and behold, came off about, you know, depending on where you are, at least a good three, four, five days before opener. So there's no worries there. And um, right away we were finding 43, 44, pushing up into like 46 degree water temp on opener. Pretty much right away we kind of just 
went to our typical spots that we've always kind of went to for walleyes. Um, it was a little tough for us, but we found a few. Yeah, it was a, it was a fun weekend. Um, felt a little bit weird to, to get back in the boat and not, not be throwing musky lures and, and doing that whole song and dance. Um, but it was a lot of fun. You know, we, we had a full boat. Um, it was more, more entertaining, uh, or I guess attempt to entertain than actual, you know, hard, hardcore fishing. Um, definitely need to, to polish up a little bit on, on walleye fishing and, and kind of the multi-species game outside of, uh, outside of muskies for myself. Um, just a totally different mindset, right? I mean, it's just, just totally different everything you're doing, but yeah, we, we did, we did have some fun we found a few fish. What was cool this year was, uh, catching a few of those walleyes and pike and everything on some smaller artificial type baits, like little tube jigs and, you know, little mm -hmm. cranks, stuff like that was a lot of fun. Um, and I can, I guess, kind of let you go and, and talk about where we found them, but, uh, I thought that was a fun twist. I, I definitely, you know, I'm excited to do that again next year or maybe even in May again, um, you know, but yeah, I thought that was definitely the highlight for me was, was at least just getting the rod bent, uh, getting back out on the water, you know, Saturday was, was a little bit cold, kind of rainy, misty, but, uh, we made the most of it and, uh, yeah, you know, we're able to, we're able to find a few fish, so all good. So I've yeah, been, I didn't sure. get a rundown oh. from you guys, um, on the weekend. I know a little bit of what you caught, but um, where, where were you guys finding the walleye? Were they moving out of their deep holes? Were they up in the weeds? Were they all kind of scattered? Where'd you have your most luck? Uh, we had our most luck mainly fishing basically just like a shallow weedy bay. It was, I mean, Saturday's weather, as most people know in Wisconsin, was pretty gloomy, rainy, uh, cloudy all day. So it kind of felt like one of those days you could find them active in their typical shallow locations all day. And um, I think the one thing that we messed up on is actually we went and fished two deep holes um, first. Uh, one was crib-related, steep drop-off. The other one was rock-related, steep drop-off. We found rock bass, a lot of rock bass, but we also found, I think, just only one or two, maybe three walleyes, and they were... I don't know, maybe 10 inches long or something. So we weren't super stoked with that start. And we just then went to our typical shallow, weedy northern end of the lake area. And that's when we started pitching those soft plastics, uh, running shallow, shallow bobber setups as well. And that's we started getting action like immediately. So that's that's basically where we found them in the northern sections of the lake in uh shallow mainly weed related um one of them was creek related um so yeah that's where we found them brian you'll get a kick out of this i think one of the most uh, I mean, one of the more impressive feats of the day was i think gus catching what was it gus six consecutive rock bass on six consecutive casts when we <laughs> yes, started the yes day. we're <laughs> yeah, we're we're just dropping down. I mean, we had we were running a little bit of live scope as well when we were fishing deep, um, just to kind of like see what we could see, and and we just spot locked over a crib, and um, I don't even know if I was looking at it. I was just dropping it down, letting it hit the bottom. This is just like a 
I think it was either a 16th ounce or I think it was a 16th ounce jig with a, a fathead minnow. And I, I did that, you know, the rig on it where you go through the mouth and up, up the back. So you get some more uses out of the minnow usually. And I think I caught, yeah, six or seven rock bass on the same minnow. That minnow just was like chewed up like a plastic, but they're still hitting it. And then that's when we're like, all right, we need to move. Maybe it's time to invest in some rock bass color musky baits then. Maybe that's a hint. I mean, I do like brown and gold. Those are probably, you know, top two colors for me. Yeah, so we 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 finished up Saturday with, like we said, a few fish in the boat. Um, something cool that we did get to witness, uh, you know, I don't know if we've seen it before, Gus, but on our shoreline where our, our parents live, um, we were just mm. kind of bumming around in the boathouse uh, one night and all of a sudden Gus was like, hey, bring bring like a flashlight down. I, I think there's a bunch of walleye on the shore. Um, and so we, we took a spotlight. We brought it down there. And it was about, I don't know, about 20, 30 minutes after sunset. Our entire shoreline was completely just filled with like 10 to 14 inch walleye. It was it was pretty cool to see. They were they were rolling in like packs of like 15, 20 at a time. Um it's just, you know, interesting to see for sure, you know, up that close and good to know that that uh, that lake definitely has a healthy population of walleye still. So it was a good day. Good to see some fish, like I said. And then, you know, the second day we got out there, um, we didn't fish super hard. You know, we kind of bummed around, but, um, you know, I think, Gus, you got to at least see a lot of fish. You went over to a clear lake by yourself and um, that was pretty cool to, to get some updates from you i was on my way back at that time but um yeah tell i guess tell everyone what you were you were seeing on the, the clear body water yeah so we were sunday morning we went to two stained lakes and we had we could we could barely even catch a pike so uh that's when most of the people hit town and and i just decided to you know take a little extra time and go to a clear lake um in the area and after pretty much fishing like two spots with like a swim jig i was kind of going after smallmouth uh not even seeing anything because the water's super clear i could see down to the rocks i uh, decided to just kind of go up shallow and just trolling motor around with my rod and hand ready which later i realized was just not even worth it because uh sunday there was zero wind until late late afternoon um, the, the sun was peeking out, so I decided it was like a good opportunity to go up really shallow and pretty much sight fish to see what like this lake has to offer and see what they had in there. And that water temp on this lake was creeping up to like 49, 50, 50 and a half. And when I went up shallow, I saw thousands of perch, uh, thousands of perch eggs uh, just laid across the bottom. Um, in areas that were like slightly mucky, slightly sandy, uh, a lot of down wood. And on top of that, saw probably two dozen to 30 smallmouth, all of which were really big. I mean, I think I saw maybe one or two in that like 14, 15 inch range, but the rest were like 18, 20 inch footballs. And I tried pitching at them, but they were the water was so clear it was so calm so sunny that they were just getting spooked immediately in this lake we also uh 
we've come to terms with musky fishing on it a few times and I just kind of wanted to see if there were some muskies already up there. And lo and behold, I found eight males sitting up shallow um, just along the shoreline, which is pretty cool to see. I was kind of taking notes. I mean, normally I don't even get that that close to shore. Like, I mean, I was pretty much always in like a foot and a half to three feet of water, just kind of bumming around. And it was pretty cool to see like the structure that was up in there, which is normally kind of what you're casting onto, but you can't like see that sometimes with your electronics because it's either too far away or it starts to get so shallow that your side image just like kind of doesn't really show it super well. So that was pretty cool. Took some mental notes and uh, it was just, you know, cool to see some muskies swimming around in their natural habitat. Yeah, is uh, be be curious to to know when those big females start roaming up there. We got opener here in three weekends, so hopefully they'll be all uh all finished up with their biznatch by then. So mm-hmm. um, we can carry on as uh regular scheduled with carry on with our regular scheduled programming good to see at least get some eyes on some muskie um and talking about the the spawn i think that's probably a pretty good segue to 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 kind of kick us off here with uh the pre-spawn send that we tried uh back in april so basically we were on like ice watch you know with the weather up north and all the cold weather we were having in april we were kind of worried if we were able to even get out at all but there is, you know, some good warm-ups and that, you know, led us to find some open water, which we we're searching pretty hard for. And, and uh, yeah, we found some. It, it wasn't that we were waiting to see if it'd be open by that day. We were just so eager to get out there and musky fish after a long winter. We kind of pushed the boundaries and tested the waters maybe a little bit more than we should have because, you know, I think as you guys will get into, the lake was still covered in ice that Friday after what, three or four days of 75, 80 degree weather. Um, but you know, the weather, the air temperature was too nice to not give it a go. And then, you know, ended up sun ended up treating us well going into Saturday. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to understate the weather watch that we were on. You get probably got obnoxious after a while because it was not looking promising for us. I mean, we had, our dad drive over to the launch we were going to use for the weekend. Um, you know, it was pretty at that time locked up, uh, just as like, as far as accessibility goes, uh, when he went there on, what was it? Gus Thursday. Uh, there was about maybe one yeah. 20th of the lake opened at that time. Maybe. We were planning on fishing Friday. So, uh, spirits were a little bit low, but, you know, I think we, we, we were, you know, we were really excited to get out there. We had gotten a bunch of new baits this winter at the musky shows and uh, we just wanted to kind of try those out and make sure, you know, your boat was, was running correctly because you were heading to cave run the following weekend. So, um, you know, I think that was going to be kind of the purpose of the, the weekend at first, but obviously that changed pretty quickly. Right. Yeah, I know we're, you know, once we saw the weather and all that stuff, we're like, all right, this is just going to be a fun time to just toss around baits, just be in a boat finally after a long winter. 
and just maybe see if we can sniff a muskie. Um, I mean, in that case, we might as well just talk right about day one. You know, we uh, we went into it uh, just Max and I in the morning, and the water was as probably an understatement rushing pretty fast. Uh, it was super super muddy. Uh, the you know the water clarity was maybe four to six inches where you could see baits it was just chocolate milk um and that was that was really kind of bringing our spirits down because we've never really fished in conditions like that before ever um so that was all new new to us and we were just almost at lost you know at lost right away on where to go because we've been to this body of water before but we were just never hit with this you know difficulty on how to like fish a spot fish our lures effectively and all that when we had fished it a year prior we we weren't dealing with full trees and five foot long logs flying past the boat as we're trying to hold our ground in an area fighting the current so you know, we didn't do well our first year there, but this year posed some new challenges to us with the high water levels, like you said, and um, just everything with your typical spring runoff. Yeah, I would have to say that this is not exactly a great place to find out if your boat works after a long winter. You might create some new I, problems. <laughs> yeah, I think luckily I was able to get the boat somewhere else, you know, a good bit more south safely to just test everything so uh that that helped for sure i wasn't going to be joining you guys on the boat until later in the afternoon i think it was like three o'clock when i got there so you guys had been out there for three or four hours and i didn't you guys didn't have any service so i had no idea how you were doing and uh kind of go into what you guys were dealing with out there and um it didn't seem to have helped the spirits anymore being out there for three hours before I'd gotten there. No, it didn't. But I would say you brought a good vibe change. I mean, I think we were a little dejected when you got there. We were kind of wondering uh, if this was worth the worth the travel and time. Um, you know, needless to say, it was, it was good again to be out on the boat, yada yada. But um, felt pretty felt pretty impossible to even see a, a muskie. Um, you know, not like the fact the fact of the matter was that we we weren't feeling very confident that we were going to be able to boat one uh after fishing for those first few hours just because it you know really didn't even feel like we fished that much for the first three four hours i mean we scouted a lot of spots we would try to try to fish something um but we would either get kind of blown off the spot with the current the wind picked up pretty pretty considerably so um yeah i mean the whole the whole day was a little bit weird uh but when you showed up you know it was felt good you know the, the band is back together we were having some good laughs and you know kind of kind of carried on the the day really wasn't too eventful i mean outside of seeing like a 75 75 80 pound beaver that we thought was going to charge the boat um we didn't really see much else so well uh, it, it it was uh it felt great to get back on the boat and then shortly after i got on the boat all those massive icebergs kind of out in the main lake of the fluid started flushing out. Right. And then yes. that allowed us to 
kind of cap off day one by exploring, you know, 80% of the lake that you guys hadn't been able to fish for the first four hours of your day. So right. it, that, that, that gave us a lot of hope going into Saturday. Um, did you guys end up marking anything before I got there? I thought you guys had said you at least maybe might've marked a couple fish, um, in the morning, uh, or early afternoon. I don't think we're able to, um, like Max said, I mean, those three or so hours just flew by. It felt like we were barely even fishing. Um, we we're kind of mapping. I think we we're just kind of mapping out some new spots. Um, cause I mean, it was sunny out and you knew those fish would start moving now that they realize that there's no ice, the water's roaring and they probably have that mindset of already getting into that. Okay. Let's, you know, get prepared for the spawn. So we were just mapping out areas that were close to spawning bays. I mean, the water was still freezing. I mean, I don't even think it touched 40 on the first day. Maybe I don't, yeah, I don't even think it got close to that. And we were pretty much just looking for deep areas next to spawning areas that were kind of out of the current. But since the current was so fast and ferocious that that was even difficult to do. I mean, there's some areas where if we just idled or, you know, stopped the boat, we'd be moving like two and a half, three miles an hour. Like, like it was roaring fast. I mean, ice out was literally happening as we were fishing, like Brian said on Friday. I mean, it would, uh, the main part of the flowage was iced up Friday morning when we started and, you know, chunks of like massive chunks of ice were floating past our boat. I mean, and there, it was it definitely was the most wild scenery I've ever seen trying to musky fish when you're literally weaving in and out of, you know, floating ice chunks and stuff like that. I mean, it just, it was not your typical, you know, musky fishing at all. No, and no. It, amongst dodging all those obstacles, trying to keep the boat, you know, in line with conflicting wind and current directions, um, we were also just confused on what the pattern might be with these fish, since it was, you know, 38 degree water or whatever. The ice, I mean, this is their first sunlight of the year was that Friday, but it was also 80 degree sun. So <laughs> we were like, are these fish going to go bolting up into the shallows to catch some UV rays or... Are they going to be sucked to the bottom? Just so confused as to what's going on. Um, so we pretty much took that with us uh, into Saturday. Pretty much still as lost as we were Friday morning. <laughs> but I would say, I think for whatever reason, I think day two for just, I, I don't know why, but it felt better for some reason. I think we had a full day ahead of us. We knew that the the, the whole lake was going to be open and accessible um, so at least we had, you know, the ability to go fish everything. We had a full day to, to check new spots to kind of try, you know, like you were saying, okay, figure out if they're deep, figure out if they're shallow. Um, so I think I would say, I think the confidence level going into day two was, was much different than it was when we left the water on day one. Yeah, I agree there. Um, cause I know on day one, it, because that current was so fast, we we're fishing through spots really quickly and and if you guys remember on that, on Saturday morning, our first spot, you know, if you can kind of picture where we started and then we just made it almost like a mega drift where mm -hmm. we just like, just let the current, we just tried our best to stay in the slowest current, but we just kind of let the current take us down and we just kept fishing, you know, as good of water as we could. You know, we weren't sure if they're 
even remotely relating to weeds. You know, it's hard to say because a lot of the weeds we're getting up were pretty much dead. Um, but at least, you know, casting at it, it felt good. It felt like we we're casting at structure. We weren't just, you know, blindly casting into the middle of the lake, which sometimes it felt like we were. But I think that now, drift. Now, took... Gus, now, Gus, are weeds cover <laughs> or are they structure? I was waiting for that. Seems like that, the guy might you have know what? confused here. You got some explaining you know to what? do. I I love fishing cover, but when when you add in structure with that, mm, that's mm. good. That's good stuff right there. Oh, mm -hmm. so you're talking about the drop off next to the weeds? I thought you were referring to the weeds as your structure. Mm, mm -mm. Could never do that. Um, <laughs> so, anyways, the mega drift. We just kind of kept going, and going, and I believe we we're getting pretty much to the end and Brian and I were kind of eyeing up you know this outside of the bay drop off area that we we're kind of pitching to and fishing which in this case the bay was still covered in ice um so we could only cast so far and, and I think Max put his rod down and was kind of just like waiting for the mega drift to be done and it was like all right are we you know, going to the next spot. And I think I was kind of sitting there and stuttering or something. And I'm like, I, ah, you know, I don't know. We should just, you know, keep moving a little more, five more minutes. And, and as I was kind of stuttering through that, we finally marked one on side image. And that's when I'm like, Oh, there's one, there's one. So. Yeah. It showed up clear as day. And I think the second we all kind of put eyes on it, we panicked a little bit. Like, where, 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 where's it at? Where's that? And <laughs> yeah, so I didn't believe our I, eyes. Max was sitting down, probably digging into his burger, whatever he had packed, and easy, uh, buddy. <laughs> and uh, I saw my rod in my hand, so I chucked one back, kind of off the corner of the boat, and it was straight. I mean, probably five feet away from like the raging current, so just inside the inner seam. Um, and I didn't get anything on that cast. And I think like halfway through my retreat back to the boat, Max had hooked out, what was it? A big kind of carp colored mag dog. I think uh, it was the yeah. 20. Oh, sorry. I was just going to add, I, I'm pr if I remember correctly, what color it was it? I think it was like the 2021, I guess it might've been 2022 show color for musky innovations. I think it was like blotchy walleye or something. It's like supposed mm -hmm. to be a walleye, but it's kind of got like color shift brown. The darkest walleye I've ever seen. Right. Yeah, <laughs> not much gold in that. No, it blended right in with the water. So it was crazy. He was able to finesse that fish off the bottom. Yeah, shout out Brian for making a uh, making the terribly aimed cast. Um Very after marking it on sign image. So really gotta credit you, honestly, for catching that fish because you got the first I wanted look you at to it. catch it. I knew you were down bad that day. I was like, you know what? We'll give this guy one. I think you Have missed fun the with side. I think you missed the side image fish by a good, good 50, 60 feet. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> shout out you, man. Appreciate you. You know, anytime. This, this is all around good guy. Let me let me have a real real shot at it. Uh, but yeah, so I mean, if you you could picture it, you know, without without having to like draw out the spot, you know. If, if you're running the boat on a, on a straight line, you know, you have your, your bay to the right that was frozen up. You know, you have some kind of deteriorating or I guess emerging 
weeds that are outside of the bay and a little bit deeper water. And then it was essentially just a, a slow tapered drop off to what was kind of the main river channel um, where all that current was kind of pushing through. And so where we were, I mean, it was really slow moving. Um, and that fish seemed to be just staged right next to the main river channel in between kind of where the, the spawning bay would be and that main river channel would be. So, I mean, I think looking back, you know, it's always funny when you're, when you're musky fishing, you finally put the pieces together and the light bulb goes on. You're always kind of like, man, that just seems so obvious, right? Like, of course, they're not going to be up in dead weeds yet. They're not going to be wanting to sit in that super heavy, fast moving current. So why wouldn't they be kind of in that in-between stage, almost kind of staging to spawn, but also picking off kind of fish and bait that's moving through the current. So when you side image that fish, it was probably in a pretty predictable spot that we just didn't really think to fish until we saw it. Um, so yeah, I got, got my, got up out of my seat, put the burger down allegedly <laughs> and, uh, the 10 AM burger took a cast. Um, and this was kind of where, you know, if we, we do a video, you'll see this and it is a little bit of a, an embarrassing moment, but it was, um, a telescoping rod. I, when I threw the bulldog out, I didn't even realize, but I never even extended the rod. And so I'm sweeping, you know, this, this mag dog. And you can hear me on the video just go like, oh, that would have been bad. And so, you know, I, I reached to extend the rod, which probably gave the bulldog an extra, you know, three, four second fall. One or two sweeps after that just felt a very subtle tap tap and gave her the old eye crosser. And the next thing you know, she was in the bag. It didn't really take much. I mean, it was like Gus said, 39 degree water temp um it came in fairly green it was a it was a clean net job by gus um you know it, it definitely stayed down i could tell it was a big fish i didn't know how big i figured it was probably you know a, a, a 40 plus inch fish and kind of out there by itself i was hoping it was that pre-spawn giant that we were after um and it turned out i mean once, once it hit the bag we were all freaking out we couldn't believe it happened it it was all over in 20 seconds um but yeah, pretty pretty cool feat, I would say. Yeah, I think uh, I took your place on screaming like a girl when that thing hit the bag because I think I was, I think I was screaming because I couldn't even believe it. And I know I was gonna say when you set the hook and said "got one," I remember. And I think looking back at the footage, Brian, you could just hear Brian in the background go, "No way." Like you couldn't believe <laughs> that we actually side imaged a fish, casted I mean, at it on the first cast, and then set into everything it. leading up to that point. It it just started to feel so far fetched, and I mean we hadn't seen a a sign of life leading up to that. So for the first fish that spotted on side image to you know be caught thirty seconds later, and it to be you know a big old fat girl was was pretty unbelievable. Yeah, I mean that fish was probably the heaviest uh it will be all year i mean it was completely blimped out um it's you know cool to see we we got out of the net um and uh you know took a quick picture got it back in it released super super clean uh there's no issues there but it was it was just really cool to see a fish of that i guess weight you know from literally from mouth to tail it was just it was a complete blimp it was uh it was a special fish it was cool 
And what, what made it even crazier too, like once we saw the size of your fish, um, you know, when we had fished that same body of water a year prior, um, I guess we fished in horrible conditions, but we, we moved two muskies that day and they were both, I don't know, 30, 32 inches. So nothing huge. So we didn't know if this was the kind of body water to hold anything of crazy size or if it was just more of a volume fishery. So, um, that kind of added to the first fish on this flowage and was a beauty. Yeah, I really made the whole weekend with just one cast, and that's kind of how it can go. I mean, you can go from being a zero to hero real quick in musky fishing, and that was pretty much the the textbook way to do it right there. I mean, saw one fish on side imaging to that point and was able to find, you know, have it find its way into the net. So that was, uh, yeah, that was great. I was, um, we were all we were all fired up. We were glad we could get it done, and definitely made the trip very much worth it. Yeah, I completely agree. And that just kind of carried our spirits through the day, which we then were able to kind of capitalize on our findings of, okay, they're kind of in a little bit deeper water for sure in the slack current, you know, on the seams or in the eddies. And I think we went on to, I think we side image two more, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, not to mention that it was still... I mean, I know we caught the one, but it was still just horrible water conditions. I mean, I think the clarity, I think the clarity by Saturday maybe bumped to like eight inches. You could see, I don't know if you guys remember it, like kind of getting a little bit better. It got a little bit better. You could at least see your bait before it came out of the water. (laughs) Yeah, I think there was about, yeah, that was another thing. Um, I don't know how many good figure eights I did that weekend. I think I had about 25% of them in the air i figure eight was just in the air because the bait would just come flying out of the water i think it was one of my typical typical brian weekend no i was just gonna say it was one of my better showings but uh yeah i I was doing i think pretty good figure eights but i was not prepared to set the hook because i had no faith in anything jolting up after (laughs) it's all in practice for the year ahead right right right. not in that not really in that water temp you're going to really see them rocketing up on the eight going around in circles <laughs> i mean you know they're muskies we could be proven entirely wrong on that but but yeah um so that fish was amazing um that is for sure gonna have us want to come back but oh before we go any further we did come into contact with one more fish towards the end of the day uh, we we're kind of doing some basically bass flipping. Um, we we're kind of going down the steep shoreline with tons of timber on it and with really, really roaring fast current to our backside. And we we're staying as close as we could to stay in the eddy so that we, we weren't going too fast. And, and I think by this time of the day, Max had just checked out, you know, he already got his fish. He was chilling. You know, <laughs> we had, we had a storm on the horizon. We didn't really want to get messed up with. Um, especially with just with the conditions, if anything would go wrong or anything. And, and Brian and I were pitching to the steep bank. I was, uh, I was working a six inch phantom soft tail, I believe. And, and I think it was only, you know, we barely even drifted for a couple minutes and, uh, I cast it behind a log and twitched it out of there. And it was kind of almost halfway back to the boat. And I could just see this, you know, belly roll and flash at a fish just, totally attempting to eat the lure but with a glide bait it's already 
you know, pretty poor hook hooking percentage, not to mention fast current, really, really dirty water. And, uh, I mean, it didn't sting super hard. Uh, the, the flash that I did see was maybe a, maybe a low thirties at best. So at least that didn't sting, but it was definitely cool to, you know, see another one. Yeah, and Max's fish, you know, was, you know, the day maker, obviously, but um, it was tough that that was, you know, that we weren't going to fish Sunday. It was a big cold front coming in. Um, but at the end of the day, Saturday, before that storm came in, you could tell that the muskies were feeling the heat from the sun and they were starting to push up a little bit shallower. That other one we had marked was, you know, in an eddy right outside from the main current and it was eight feet offshore. So, they were moving into predictable areas and, you know, easily targetable areas. And it just felt like if we had had Sunday of another day of 75 and sunny, you know, we might've put a hammer down on them. We got a couple more on the boat, but um, of course, like any Wisconsin spring, a uh, warm day is followed by 42 and, you know, sleet and rain. So if that. All right. All right so yeah, day two, Day two ends and obviously that concluded our trip. So I guess I'll I'll throw it back to you two. I mean, do you think catching that fish was dumb luck or do you think it was a repeatable pattern that we kind of stumbled across that we could share with our listeners that if they wanted to try, you know, a pre-spawn type uh, outing that this, you know, current adjacent to a flat adjacent to some weeds or something like that um you know type pattern might actually be fruitful or do you guys think it was just crazy luck brian you want to hit on it first yeah i i definitely think there's a lot of luck involved just because it's like you know there rarely is a spring you know first ice off day like that where it's you know, 40 degrees, you know, the whole couple weeks leading up and all of a sudden, bam, it's 75 to 80 degrees for the, you know, four days in a row. And the ice goes from whatever it probably was four inches to completely off the lake in the matter of, you know, pretty much a day. Um, so I don't know. I mean, none of us have had experience fishing something like that. So there's definitely a big element of luck there. Um, but I think it sets us up for next year if we try and go back and hit it you know that first weekend of open water which i'm sure we'll be itching to um to kind of maybe start instead of start in the dead weeds to start inside the current seam again kind of find those mud flats you know in 15 feet of water whatever it might be and then work our way in if we're not seeing them there but we developed a lot more of a pre-spawn pattern this year than we had prior year when we went there um so, yeah, I mean, I think there's a good element of luck involved in catching that big fish, but I think it, you know, taught us a lot going into next year. Yeah, I think I really agree on that on that luck part because with all the conditions that we were handed, it really felt like we had to just, like, scrape a bait in front of a fish. So we were, you know, super lucky that that thing just decided to swim to the side of our transducer and just give us, like, a clear musky picture to toss at. And, uh, yeah, I really agree on like the location. Uh, it, it's definitely funny how Max brought up. It's like, you, you talk about it, you know, that like these fish should probably be deep. We end up probably casting too shallow at first. And then it's like, boom, there he is super predictable area. I, I think it's definitely repeatable. One thing I would say is that we probably should maybe hold off as much as possible to not be dealt with horrible 
super fast current conditions because because that that was really tough to deal with you know keeping the boat in a decent area was difficult and as you know with cold water you got to keep that bait moving slow you know long long pauses uh with long pulls that's just you know how you're going to get it done but yeah i think it's repeatable and i think it's something that you know we can make a make a trip out of each year yeah, I agree. I mean, I think, you know, you guys, we talked about luck. I mean, I think when you musky fish, there's an element of luck. Um, obviously, the more prep you do and all that stuff and whatever, you're, you're going to get more lucky. Um, but, yeah, I think there was definitely an element of luck here. I think if we did it next year, you know, the one thing I would, would say is it's almost like, you know, there's there's two really two two ways to do it is, you know, one, you really hammer those areas that are, they, they, they look good they're close-ish to spawning areas but they also have some you know aggressive current and then there's some slack water in between the, the spawning area and the current um you know really hammer those areas and whether you're moving a bulldog really slow or a medusa really slow like working you know just very <clears throat> methodically through those areas maybe even jigging you know incorporating some jigging if if you're able to kind of get some some depth that's probably 10 feet or more uh, just to really hang baits in their face especially if that water is a little bit dirtier I think that was that would probably be a key to like hone in on that bite and then if if nothing was kind of going there to really hammer those like you know we did towards the end of the day just like the the, the shoreline timber anything that's holding heat you know those 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 fallen uh trees that were in the water that clearly we're holding heat and in, in holding fish, you know, to really kind of pick, pick those apart with different glide baits, twitch baits, stuff like that. Um, you know, you can almost break your day into just those two bites and, and just see what one would produce. But I agree with Brian. I mean, I felt like we kind of put a pattern together towards the end of Saturday. And then if we would have had Sunday, you know, maybe you guys would have even caught a fish who knows. Um, hmm. You'd have to have been <laughs> out of the boat, of course. Yeah. You're going to let us catch one. <laughs> Well, I mean, according to you guys, uh, like telling these stories, I'm like the laziest fisherman ever. Oh, I was yeah. just eating a cheeseburger. Oh, I was just sitting down and Gus got his other head. It's like a guy doesn't even cast unless you, he sees a fish. You guilt <laughs> us into letting you have a have a shot at one. So, you know, we started to feel bad. I want to get you more involved. And yeah, I'm glad that's, it happened that's, to you. Uh, thanks, Brian. Just, <laughs> and sometimes I forget how generous of a guy you are, you know? Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Yeah, that was uh, that was it. I mean, you guys see the the picture on the the thumbnail this uh, this week's episode, and I ended up I think clocking in at forty six and a half. And um, you know, we didn't girth it. Unfortunately, we didn't want to overhandle the fish as it was, you know, full of uh, full of the future for that body of water. So we we didn't take too much time with it. But I don't know, Gus. Am I crazy to say that it probably had a girth of twenty three plus inches? I mean, it was it was fully loaded. Yeah, I think so for sure. I mean, I definitely wish we could have gotten a girth on it, maybe in the net. You know, that's that's where we've girthed every fish in the net. I mean, I guess a little side note, uh, I would definitely recommend girthing your fish in the net as opposed to on the board because that just kind of promotes overhandling the fish. And as always, you know, we just want to, you know, promote catch and release. You know, we want the future to be still there in these bodies of waters and, and we want other people to enjoy the fisheries as well. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that was a true, 
I mean, I don't know. I can, I don't know if I can put a weight on it exactly without, you know, the girth, but it was, it was well over 30 pounds. I thought for sure. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's important too to like really understand and know your regulations for the bodies of water you fish. I mean, you know, this was something that was enacted a few years back. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Gus, but you know, Michigan went to catch and release for muskies year round. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's a super well-known thing, hence the title of this episode. I mean, we were approached by um, a guy taking pictures of us and seemed to be a little bit upset that we were throwing, you know, 12-inch <laughs> baits. He seemed to be pretty confused until we let him know kind of what was going on. So, um, yeah, you know, just understanding that there is this opportunity to do this, you know, and obviously you ideally don't want to target them during the spawn or anything like that, but you know, if you're able to get out there early season and try to capture a, a fish that it, it is, like I said, heavy, absolute or her heaviest weight uh, possible, it's it's pretty fun. Yeah, I mean, I was pretty much after getting that fish in the net and seeing what a pre-spawn fish is capable of, like looking like, and being that size, uh, that was making me really really want to go back and uh i don't know if you remember that the weather after that just kept getting worse and worse and worse and and then by that time i was already getting ready to go to cave run and that was taking up so much of my time and i was preparing for me to move which still you know i'm in the process of doing that as well and i was able to get back on this body of water and this might be a little something for me to talk about you know as well if this is like repeatable and stuff and i really do think it is um i got back on two brutally cold days i mean it felt like i was fishing you know the week of thanksgiving basically i mean these days with the wind chill were maybe getting to 25 30 degrees uh one of the days our dad braved it he came out with me and it was it was pretty much flurries and snowing the entire day and it really made me rethink what we were doing. Uh, didn't see anything, but we, you know, trolled a little bit and kind of found some new areas to fish. But uh, that last day I was able to get out before going to Cave Run, I really took some time to, like, slowly approach some of these spots and uh, utilize, um, I guess, if for the listeners that don't know, we run Garmin in our boat. And uh, I really, really like to use the quick draw contours and map out you know areas of the lake because as as you know not every lake has a good lake map and it kind of helps you like dial into like where these fish are being you know where they're locating it it might it might tell you like a little spot on spot you know a nook and cranny or this point extends a little bit more than what you thought so i was running that you know, running solo and I was, it was pretty much the same thing. I was kind of hitting these slack water areas with glide baits and twitch baits and rubber and I was seeing nothing. Um, so I pretty much felt defeated and I decided to kind of troll back to the landing to just call it, a, call it a day. And I decided to put out live scope, uh, while trolling to kind of just see how deep I was getting and what I saw right away, I was trolling a 22 long off of a drop off to start. And I looked back and in the first 30 seconds of trolling, this fish just comes flying off the bottom, follows for a few seconds, 
and it goes right back to the bottom. And I'm like, holy crap. I just went five hours the day prior, not even getting a glimpse of anything, side image, whatever, follow. And then all of a sudden I just start trolling, you know, super deep and one comes flying off the bottom. And then I keep going down. Not a minute later, another one comes flying up. I'm like, holy, holy shit, there's a bunch here. And then I think I went another, you know, two minutes and I side image one. And I'm like, okay, okay, I can't leave yet. You know, I got to turn around and start casting at these, uh, which I started to do. I mean, I threw the kitchen sink at them. Um, I was trying to get them to follow. I was uh, running the live scope out and I could see them come up. And they would just like follow super low, but they wouldn't like reach a certain height. You know, they just didn't really want to show themselves and they're super, you know, negative attitudes. And I think that kind of boiled down to weather, which if I had some advice for somebody wanting to chase pre-spawn fish, it's basically like looking at your weather and thinking the dead opposite of fall fishing. Because in fall fishing, you love those days that are 25 degrees and blistery north winds. You know, those fish are put putting on the fall feed bag and getting ready for winter. Whereas this time of year, they want the sunshine. They want the warmth. They want to get ready to spawn. You know, they're sick of the winter probably as much as we are. And they just want to get up and feed. So if it's a really dull, cold day in the, you know, in the pre-spawn time period, you might want to maybe reconsider when you go out i mean i'm not saying that it's impossible to catch them but i definitely found that it was very difficult when the weather was cold and dreary um spring fishing and i think that's kind of goes you know the same when fishing into june and opener all right so that's a that's our recap of our spring trip after some pre-spawn fish hopefully you guys are able to learn something uh, and get some positive takeaways from that. But uh, we did a little segment for this week. Gus put up a, a poll on his Instagram to see if you guys had any questions, any of you listeners from the first episode. Um, and we did manage to get a few curious people out there. Um, so, Gus, if you want to start reading off uh, one of the questions from our listeners. All right. We got some great questions in this week. Uh, as always, you can send them in whenever you want. I'll give my socials at the end of this podcast uh, for you guys to contact us. But our first question comes from Tom V, who is part of the Musky Hunks podcast. Longtime loyal listener of that. And I hope you become a longtime loyal listener of the uh, Muskies on Tap. And um yeah, we we I know all of us love the Musky Hunks podcast. You guys do a great job. Uh, love listening to that every week. And if if you guys are craving for some more Musky podcast content and you do not know about the Musky Hunks, I highly advise you to go check them out. So he asked the most prevalent or most annoying misconception about being a guide, and that is a tough one right out of the gate. I mean, I think the easy and cop-out answer would just be saying that, oh, it's not all peaches and cream. You don't just get to go out and, you know, completely fish all day, every single day. And all you do is fish and do nothing else. But uh, there's definitely a lot of stuff behind the scenes, like getting just getting the boat prepped on a daily basis. 
you know, that takes a lot. Um, just kind of running the social medias and even just like the size fish or like how many fish you catch, you know, once, you know, just cause you just get a guide name put in front of you or at the end of your name or something, doesn't mean that you go out and catch a billion fish and every single fish is ginormous. I mean, that's, that's the one kind of bummer thing about social media is that if, you know, somebody only posts big fish pictures, you think that, well, all, you know, all they catch is big fish and all they do is catch big fish every single day. So that might be, that might be one big, you know, misconception about being a guide is that we're all, we're all human, you know, you know, what, what we do have as an upper hand, as always, is just time on water, which, uh, Brian, would you like to talk about what we call time on water? <laughs> uh, I don't remember the, uh, what do we call it? Was it, what's, what's the word for that? Is it Tau? Tau. Oh, wait, what was the other T-O-W. one? T-O-W. 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 Wait, what, what was Time in water is T-O-W. Time on water is Tau. Tau and T-O-W. Oh, I thought it was like, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So if yeah. you guys hear us talk about, talk about Tau, you know, that we're talking about just time on water. Yeah, nothing, nothing which I else. think is a <laughs> nothing else, nothing, you know, just time on water. But uh, that's that's just something that, you know, sets guides apart is that they just get to put the towel in and they learn their bodies of water, you know, a lot more intimately than, say, just a weekender. Some intimate towel. Intimate towel. Real quick, I I'm obviously am not a guide. Um, but I think just to expand on your answer from, you know, being somebody who watches you a lot, um, the, the prep, uh, I know you don't like talking about yourself at all, but you are insanely meticulous about your preparation. Like when you're preparing for a trip, you're sharpening hooks, you're making sure all the lines are good. Like you're not leaving any room for error. Um, because as you said, you know, like with musky fishing, you know, somebody books an eight hour trip, you might only have one or two shots at the, you know, for them to get a fish. And so you don't want anything to go wrong equipment wise uh, for them to blow that opportunity. So I see that preparation, um, you know, and, and also just like the, the real world of it, of, of, of scheduling, you know, I mean, for example, last summer, you had a, a guide trip at 6am on July 5th. You know, what do you think we were doing on the night of July 4th? We were <laughs> hanging out, having a great time, you know, staying in the boathouse until 2, 3 a.m., uh, letting Boy. it rip. And, and you were uh, you you were in bed and, and preparing and, and getting things going. And, and you ended up boating, you know, a, a client's first fish that next morning. So I see it firsthand. It's, it's really impressive. A lot of work goes in outside of just being, you know, just putting in the towel. A lot of work outside of the towel. Um <laughs> You know, so that that's, you know, one thing. And then secondly, I think the big fish thing, I think that's just a misconception, not only for guides. I mean, just because you have a guide in your name doesn't mean the muskies are going to bite your lures more. Right. I mean, that that's, you know, that that's not a thing. So, you know, it, I think social media these days definitely puts a lot of pressure on guides and, and people to catch that, you know, four footer, that 50 incher in, in, in reality, you know, where we fish in the North woods, that's just not a very common fish to see, you know, you might get, um, 
a chance at a, at a 48 only a few times a year, you know, hopefully more obviously, but it's uh, it, it just doesn't happen every day. So I think that's definitely a misconception is if, you know, you're going out with a guide, you're not, you're not guaranteed anything, albeit you have a much higher percentage of a chance to catch a great fish. Um, but I think there's just a lot of added pressure. I'd imagine I see it on your end, you know, to, to put people on fish, to catch fish. And, you know, I mean, credit to you, you decided to pick the hardest fish to catch the guide for. So, yeah, it's a little bit on you, I guess, but, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's a, it's a difficult sport. It's a very humbling sport. It, it, it definitely makes you contemplate life when you're out there sometimes, but at, with, with all that said, it's probably the most rewarding. So, um, yeah, I guess that's just a little add on maybe to your answer. Yeah. Appreciate the, uh, appreciate the kind words, Max. Uh, yeah, I put a lot of dedication into, you know, getting people on fish and, you know, specifically their first fish or their biggest fish. And that's, you know, definitely something that I really, really want to emphasize with, uh, with my guide business and all that is that I'm 100% invested every single day. Uh, another thing that you really don't see that's, that's a little like behind the camera is just like, within myself is like just the pressure like max was saying with social media that most people see is like oh you have to catch a fish you're a guide and um i don't you know i've as being a guide now and having just the utmost respect for guides and you know max and i and you know our our father we've been on guide trips florida we've been on multiple musky guide trips and it's tough you know we've had some really tough days on the water and just you know the one thing that you can take away even if you're not catching as much you know is to at least like learn something you know if you want to learn how to use a new bait you want to learn a new tactic you maybe just want to learn a new body of water you know you just want to see where the guides are fishing you know what spots they're going to and just pick pick their brain you know and before you know it you're just you'll be having so much better of a time if you kind of get your attention away from I'm only here to catch a fish because it's definitely a lot more important than important than that. Well, right. And, you know, too, just to add more to that, I, I guess like, you, you know, you see it too with all these like YouTube channels and stuff like that, which are awesome. And especially the ones that touch on it. I mean, like I, I know keys does a, an amazing job of this. Today's angler does an amazing job of this. All, all of them really do where they talk about, you know, you, the YouTube video is made for the catch, right? So you see the, the action, you get to see the fish. Um, it looks easy. It looks like it's fast and furious action, but like, as you heard in this podcast, I mean, you know, you, you'll see the video or in the pictures of this fish when, it, when they come out. But as, as, like I said, as you heard, I mean, it was a full day of pretty much pure confusion, frustration slash not feeling we, we were going to catch anything all the way into the morning. And then all of a sudden, boom, it just like comes together and, and it happens um in 20 seconds but a lot of time was spent prior to that to even you know stumble across that fish it just it's just kind of it's just part of the sport you know wow tom you uh you must be a pro at this because that was the first question and you already got us rambling big time all right we can move on to so, that one yeah i think we're done um our second question comes from another longtime loyal listener, Jason B. Or Jason B. Balin. He asks, like if J. someone was to like J, if someone was to book a guide trip with you, 
you only fish for muskies? The answer to that right now is yes. I only offer guide trips for muskies. I picked the name Suggs Fishing Guide Service without the word muskie in it to kind of look ahead in the future in case I ever do want to open up my guide service to different species or possibly ice fishing. So the short version of that, yes, only muskies. Our next question comes from Jack T. He asks, what's your fave slash luckiest lure? One of you guys want to hit on that first? Yeah, I, uh, ooh, this is a tough one for me. Um, honestly, I would say the bait that I've thrown the least amount and had the most success on um, has been the Bomb Squad Flaptail. And I love throwing topwater and I've, I have thrown this, I threw this, you know, a decent amount last year, but it's not all, it doesn't always feel like it's the right bait. If it's windy out, I'm not going to throw it. So you're kind of limited on when you can use it. But, um, I think I caught two fish on it last year. Um, one of them was during a tournament last summer. Um, and it was just glass water, you know, there's still dew sitting above the water. Um, and we were, 10 minutes into the tournament um, and and the fish just nailed it. And uh, I think we heard somebody else say this a while ago, but it just feels like if you're off the front of the boat and you got a couple other people fishing with you um, and the guy in the front of the boat's throwing the flap tail, the other two guys might as well just sit down. So <laughs> that's happened uh, to us on a few occasions, but um, yeah, I love throwing that if the conditions are right. Real quick, I my my headset cut out there for a second. Did you while answering this question, did you preface it all about how you got the front of that boat this that morning, or how you ended up with the flap tail on your line? Yeah, uh, I think your mic's still not working. I can't hear you. Oh. <laughs> no, I'll just get my pop. That was my response. This one, go back and forth. Wait, back hang on, forth. hang on. So I could, you, I could hear you. <laughs> All right, all right. So, did you did you uh, set the stage at all? At how you got the front of the boat, or how you had the flap tail on the so, line? Yeah, I uh, I noticed there's a new shiny flap tail in the box, and conditions were perfect. Um, mm -hmm. Luckily, Max was super generous with his new mm -hmm. bait, and mm -hmm. uh, he let me slap it on for a bit. I think I asked him if it was okay. Um, mm -hmm. What I didn't ask you know, for his approval on was taking the front of the boat. Um, it's usually a little bit of a war up there on the front of the boat. And I just happened to squeak my way to the front at the time and it paid off. So appreciate you, Max. Yeah, that was, uh, that was some pretty good comedy. I just gotten this new, uh, flap tail the week prior to throw explicitly in this spot during the tournament. And I don't know if it was the lack of sleep or what, um, you know, probably according to these guys, I was sitting down eating a breakfast sandwich from Quick Trip or something. Another cheeseburger at 6 a.m. <laughs> well, well, you uh, slowly, you know, pick the flap tail out of the boat without having a clank or clack or whatever and put it on the end of your line without me realizing it. And seven minutes later, you have a have a fish in the net with it. But yeah, no, I mean, I was obviously glad we got we got one during the tournament, but we Definitely, I don't think I let that go for the rest of the day. I was, that was pretty funny. <laughs> All right, well then, 
on your side of things, what's what's your luckiest bait or go-to bait? Oof. It's a good question from Jack. Um, you know, it, it's definitely seasonal for me as far as like luckiest or favorite bait. Um, so I guess to, to not make my answer super long, I mean, I, I love crane baits in the spring, early season. I just think they have the coolest action and it typically feels like you can at least get fish to move for whatever reason um, on crane baits. But I would say like overall from June until end of September and even into October, like an eight inch Navin dark color, perch color. Um, I think we have one specifically that's like a, a I think Gus is it called uh, black perch. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, that eight inch black perch, uh, Navin with a small weight on it. Um, I think just it's got to be my favorite bait. I mean, I, I've caught a lot of really nice fish on it. It's, you know, been really good to me. It just seems like it moves fish. It, it catches fish. The hookup percentage isn't always great, but uh, it just really pulls them out of out of cover. Um, and I just feel very confident when I'm when I'm throwing that lure. Yeah, I think I'm going to piggyback on Max with that. It's 100% seasonal, but I'm going to pick a lure that's really just been kind of near and dear to my heart since I've started musky fishing, and that's always been the 10-inch uh, weighted suic. I think it's just cash money. Uh, I don't really throw it that much in June. I mean, I'm for sure going to start trying it, but pretty much from July to you know in the fall that thing will catch a fish day in day out if if nothing's rolling on you know bucktail or top water and i guess you know i do like to throw tubes and bulldogs and medusas a lot i usually kind of go to that suic i just gravitate towards that every time i fish out of the back of the boat when i do and it's just deadly absolutely deadly on even you know, like I was saying, perfect, even on a perfect condition day where like somebody for sure should be throwing a bucktail because those fish like for sure should be fired up. I'll still throw a suic on and, you know, get them to go. All you got to, I mean, it's such a versatile lure. You can, it's just the way you work it. You know, you can rip that thing down as fast as you want. Um, if you get it, you know, tuned well enough, you can have it not blow out. You just, you just kind of sometimes have to give it shorter taps and basically work the living crap out of it so that eventually it just looks like it's been mangled and tossed out of a car down the highway i mean those are the good ones yeah i was i'm kind of surprised with your answer there i could have sworn you were going to say uh booker tail uh thanksgiving din color booker tail maybe i see hey that that. lure treated us well for a long time I mean, no, that's your yeah. go-to bait in 40-degree water, 80-degree water, you name it. You got that thing on. That thing catches fish, man. I'll tell you what. That's it a- is a straight fish catcher. If, you, if you're looking, I mean, just, you know, no no meaning to this plug at all, but, like, just a, a single five, like a 500 Booker tail, if you're fishing the chain, you kind of need to own one. I know our, I know, I know Chaz Martin with Musky <clears throat> Mastery kind of hits on that pretty heavily but i mean he's got a point those small blades on the chain are absolutely deadly which is something that i've kind of been playing around with building my own bucktails 
is kind of making some like just different renditions of these of these small single bladed bucktails that I'm super excited to bring out this year. Yeah, I agree. Those 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 small bucktails are are killers, especially in some higher pressured waters. Somehow, some way, they just get the job done over and over again. Um, I wouldn't say it's the most like exciting bait to throw, but like you said with Chaz's channel, I mean, he throws a lot of those those booger tails, and he catches a lot of really nice fish. Um, and the whole Thanksgiving didn't call her. That's an inside joke. <laughs> I don't even know what exactly yeah, you what it's called, dude. But... <laughs> It's it's for yeah. It's also Chad's favorite color. Yeah, it's called Goldilocks. I think it was Brian, or I guess it could was it you or Max that first called it Thanksgiving dinner because it just looked like I don't know. We started calling it gravy and stuffing three or four years ago, back when that was kind of our main bait. So it's always stuck. Yeah, and our next question comes from none other than Sam Wood. AKA Woods Beauty Rick, born and raised in St. Cloud, Minnesota, now hails in the, the metro area. Not the most seasoned angler, but somehow knows a lot about musky fishing. I think probably just from hearing me drunkenly talk about it at the bars nonstop. But this question was submitted at Smack Shack at about 10 30 p.m. last Thursday night. He asked the fellas, what is your favorite topwater lure and when do you use it? Brian, I'm going to start with you here because I think you already touched I, on it, I, but you didn't exactly say when you like to use it and how you like to use it. So my answer to the previous question was, I think like what my go-to topwater be or my, what I've had the most success with, and that would be the flap tail. Um, but my favorite topwater to work would be sort of a walk the dog bait. Um, I have a weagle that I like to throw a lot. I haven't had any crazy success with it. I haven't thrown it a ton, but I always enjoy working that topwater. Um, and then what was the second part to his question? When would I when throw to it? Use it? When to use it? Um, I mean, you can use it when the lake's locked up. I mean, this thing's going to move fish sun up to sundown and never a bad time for top water, which is a common misconception. Um, but no, in all seriousness, I would say first, first hour of sunlight in the morning. Um, and then, you know, last hour of sunlight all throughout the night, really, we haven't done a ton of night fishing, but, um, you know, if we were going to, I would, I would definitely consider top water if it's calm, Obviously, if it's choppy and white cap and I'm I'm not throwing top water of any sort, but um definitely keen around the the sun and um sun up and sun down for sure. Love it. Yeah, especially the way you work that top uh the walk the dog. It's uh it's a, it's really a sight to behold. I I I can't say I've anyone seen anyone else uh really be able to finesse a lure like that, especially when we were in Hayward a few years ago when I'm pretty sure you swore every other second because you couldn't get it to run side to side. <laughs> that was a faulty lure. I'm not here to name brands, but uh, yeah, okay, all right. I tell you what, it wasn't me. <laughs> seemed like you're having a really good time that night. That was, that was, that was great. Yeah. All right, Gus, why don't you take us away? What do you like to throw? You know, top water is not really my game as much as you guys know that. Um, one that I do enjoy throwing and we just own one and it's kind of an old school relic that our dad passed down to us is the 
old school creeper. I mean, you got to work that thing insanely slow, but that's kind of one of those lures that back in the day got me really hooked into musky fishing is I, I it's it's too long ago to remember if I was throwing it or Max was throwing it or, or our dad was throwing it, but we were just tossing that thing off the dock in the middle of the night, pitch black, just calm, flat water, nobody else in the lake. And there was just like this massive explosion. You know, we didn't catch the fish, but we can't, we obviously knew that it was a muskie and that was just super cool. So that that's just like a super cool top water to throw. And and I'd say that's really, you know, same as Brian. I don't know how serious he was, but that's definitely an opener to close type of top water that you can use that you can use in, you know, tougher conditions. If you want to throw top water, it's, it doesn't have to be the fast prop style top water in August or something like that. All right. Well, you guys, you guys ready to listen to me ramble here for a second? Because as you know, I, I love top water and kind of the self-proclaimed top king. I won't argue with you. I'll give you the crown of being the top king. But the question is, what what bait are you choosing? All right. So my ride or die top water bait, and this is for um, for it being an effective bait, too. I know you guys kind of picked ones that you just like like the looks of they look good in the water you know mine is mine is more for production right so i'm going this bait actually this bait was gifted to us by your mom i believe for gus's birthday no that's correct yeah yeah a couple years ago it's a fleet farm custom yeah it's a fleet farm custom (laughs) and it's an all wood uh black and orange suic nightwalker and I don't know what it is about this bait. Small. It's very small. Small. It looks very, you know, nonchalant, run-of-the-mill top water, but it throws up a bunch of water behind it, and you can work it slow. You can work it fast. It always runs. For whatever reason, fish just love it. And I'll tell this quick story. So, First of all, it was a total league killer for us. We caught a 41 and a 43 on it during league nights, um, both low light conditions. But the one that really sticks out to me is so we had we had just gotten a new fat bastard, I believe, uh, and a really good fat bastard. I know you've heard people talk about how some of them are better than others. I mean, and the one we have, luckily, is like the thing completely. I mean, it just whistles. Sounds great. And we had been on fish all night. Fish were fired up. They were chasing bucktails that we were burning. And so the sunset, we went back to the same area. We were moving all these fish. I put on the fat bastard, uh, thinking that that was going to get it done, something a little bit bigger, something really noisy. It just felt right. We go through the spot, absolutely nothing, um, no fish up. We go turn back around. We start at the exact same spot. I switched to the Suic Nightwalker, the old faithful, and I kind of mimicked the speed, you know, that we were throwing the bucktails at. So typically, you know, you're working a top water at this time of night a little slower, but I was burning it pretty good. I mean, it was like a pop, 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 pop. I mean, it was good, good pace to good pace to it. And boom, 43 hits, probably 
I mean, I had probably a, a very similar cast um, on that first pass with the fat bastard with nothing. And then we go back around second time and, and the suet Nightwalker got it done. So that's my absolute favorite top water. Um, catches fish. Don't know why. Don't know how. I think it, it makes a little bit different of a sound. It's a little bit smaller than your typical top water bait up there. Uh, so I think that's probably, you know, maybe why it, it has a little bit different look. Um, it throws up, like I said, a ton of water behind it. And yeah, I think that's definitely going to be a bait I'll continue to use until literally all the paints chipped off of it and it doesn't run right anymore because however that one's tuned or tweaked, um, it just moves fish. It catches fish. It, it almost feels not nothing's automatic in the musky world, but it almost feels automatic when, you know, that sun dips below the trees and conditions are good. Um, it's just such a confidence lure for me. I think that lure is like already half wood from all the fish <laughs> last year and just it like how much gross. it was being used. Yeah. It it's doesn't look like it. It's just like a suic, you know, they're so much better or like a suic thriller. I should say like, you know, the dive and rise lures, they're, they're better when half the paint's gone and the woods just like chewed through for some reason, they just work better and catch more fish. I don't know what it is, but it's, it's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> like, I, you know, I don't know how much coloration has to do with topwater baits like i was joking around with that with fred from the musky shop one time because when i was picking out that flap tail i was like you know what color would you go and he was like well i don't know i mean what do you think a musky sees when they're looking up at a topwater bait the sky it's like <laughs> who really cares what it looks like it probably matters more like what it the sound the it's sound making and... the speed you're you're retrieving it at and stuff like that so I mean, yeah, this is not a aesthetically pleasing bait by any means. Like Gus said, the hook rash on it is so bad and it's chipped and paint's falling off of it. But yeah, thing just gets it done. So, um, yep, that's my that's my answer to, to Woody's question there. One of my favorite yeah, questions, too. Somebody's got to ask that every week. Yeah, just run it back. I'm, I'll be happy to talk about the Suic Nightwalker every single week until the cows come home. It's I'll just... find a new top on every week to talk about. <laughs> yeah, All right, no, guys, bring us, bring us home here in our last question we got submitted. We got our last question from Kyle Anderson, longtime loyal listener as well. He asks, oh, this is a dandy, and I hope we can all come together on this. Um but he asks, what tactics do you find most effective when targeting open water muskie? And what signs do you look for as a guide slash tournament angler that might not be obvious to the weekend warriors that you need to be fishing those areas on the water? Kyle, that's a great question. And that is just an overall difficult question to answer and kind of just like a mystery to the to some people in the muskie world. And and honestly, it's like kind of an ever-evolving mystery for myself as well. You know, uh, Max and I might be able to dive in on this a little bit. And last year, we felt that we got decently dialed on this during June in the bug hatch. And if I'd say, like, there's a sign for the weekend warriors, I'll give two. I'll give two easy signs before you start fishing open water one when you launch the boat and you're talking to 
Jim Bob Joe at the boat launch or whoever you're talking to and, and they're musky fishing as well and they're saying, Oh, the bite's tough, but I didn't see anything. And uh he'll got you guys will think this is funny. And you look in his tackle box and you see eighteen bucktails and seven topwaters. You're like, Well, you know, that guy's just hucking at shore and, and if you know that guy's not catching anything, you kinda get an idea that you know, they might not be buried up in there where you think they are, which don't get me wrong. There's always, always fish up there. But when that open water kind of comes about, you start seeing, you know, more waves of fish out deep. And that's another thing about the weekend warriors that you don't have to fish deep. You just might have to fish in deeper water. Um, but that's the other thing that I was going to say, the other um, advice is that when you're going out in the lake, kind of step off the weed line, step off the break, and pretty much just check where your 2D is showing mud, which is kind of where your you know, bottom return is a little bit more hazy. Um, because when you're in sand and rock, it's gonna be a harder, harder return on your um uh down imaging and 2D. And you pretty much just look for you just look for your screen to be absolutely lit up in that deeper mud and that's when you know that bugs are hatching and when you know that bugs are hatching the small fish are going to be there and then the predators are going to follow and that's just a tough thing to kind of get your mindset is that you kind of use those bugs as like structure and waypoints you know a really good thing to do is go through there and mark down waypoints where you see the absolute most amount of bugs the highest concentration of bait in there. And you might not side image a muskie during that, but those are amazing areas to kind of go back through trolling, uh, keep your baits riding, and for sure the upper half of the water column, if anything, maybe even, you know, the top couple feet. And troll slow, troll fast, you know, keep varying up the speeds and uh, kind of go until you contact one. And from there, you can kind of just like work in closer and closer and kind of dial in more and more. And all of a sudden you look in your graph and you got eight waypoints in a 50 yard stretch and you're like, oh, I could probably cast this and, you know, do just as well. So that's definitely uh, some great tactics to kind of go after these open water fish. Um, I don't have the utmost experience on open water Cisco fisheries. Um, I've mainly been fishing the Eagle River chain and Three Lakes chain during this time, as some of you know, and those are just some tactics that I like to use there. But, you know, targeting these open water fish post-spawn on these Cisco lakes is something that I really, really want to dial in, you know, the next few years, because I know that that's going to be kind of just like a new... I guess not super new. It's probably going to be very similar to what we've already been doing, but just in, you know, new places. Well, I think you touched on one thing that I think is the most, uh, I guess, and I, I would say the biggest takeaway from your um, kind of answer there is using the bait or bugs or whatever as kind of quasi structure, because when you're out in, you know, depth obviously is relative to everybody water but like when you're out in the bay you know mud basin or anything like that whether you're in 15 or 30 feet of water it truly feels kind of foreign um to be 
either casting or whatever um, out in the open water. And so, you know, you're almost using those bugs as like a, a weed edge or throwing into thick, you know, thick weeds. Because if you, like you said, you know, if you see that, that graph light up and there's bait and bugs and, and life everywhere happening in those, those deeper areas, the muskies are going to be there and you just have to have confidence that they're there. And I think there's no better example of that than last year where we fished, you know, every single prime time spot that we wanted to, uh, throughout the day that, you know, previous to catching those fish during the PMTT where nothing was moving in your typical spots, your typical, you know, weed areas, your reefs, all that stuff. And then, you know, we, we got out into the bugs and it was like complete fireworks. You know, we marked so many different muskies out there. Um, obviously contacted a few fish, were able to boat a few fish, but that was crazy for me because just seeing, you know, how much activity was actually going on just out in the middle of the lake. And like, I think sometimes we forget, you know, muskies swim, they don't just stick around in the same weed bed all the time, every single day, you know, they're, they're constantly moving back and forth between some of those shallow areas and the deep water areas. Um, and they eat when they're out there. And so I think once you kind of get confidence and get in your head that that's something you can actually do, it really opens up a whole new world to musky fishing. That's pretty exciting. I mean, and we did that on, you know, you say you don't, we don't have much experience doing it on Cisco based lakes and that's true, but even some of the clear lakes that we fished, you know, 25, 30 feet, it was just same, same program, finding those balls of perch, you know, finding those balls of bait and then just sticking on it and and having faith that the muskies were going to either be following or, or what have you. I mean, that was pretty cool. Like last year with using the live scope and using our tech, it was almost like ball of bait, find a muskie, find a ball of bait, find a muskie. You know, it was, it was like, it almost became weirdly easier to find fish in the open water. Once we really started dialed in. Um, I don't know if you agree with that or not, but once you were able to pattern it, it actually became like a very repeatable bite. And, um, you know, we, we were able to capitalize a few different times last year by doing that, but I think it's just really honing on and, and feeling confident that if you're finding bait out in deep water, you really just got to trust that muskies are also there. Yeah. And I'll, I'll add to that. I'll keep my answer short. I don't, you know, like many people, I don't love fishing open water by any means. I just, you know, it's a little bit more of a guessing game, especially if you don't have a ton of experience doing it, but um, I guess for people that don't have great technology on their boat and all these graphing options or live scope, whatever it might be to try and mark bait. Um, like Gus had kind of said, talking to people at the launch, if you run into people who are pan fishing there or just go into the local bait shop and figure out what the bite is with the panfish, crappie, perch, you know, walleye, if those panfish in the recent days have slid off, you know, for whatever reason, a cold front or something that slid off the weed beds and are out in a little bit deeper water, then, you know, there's a good chance the muskies at, you know, certain times of the day are going to go out and, you know, grab a quick bite to eat out by some of those panfish, you know, right off the break and the drop off or out in a mid lake hump. So, um, yeah, if you don't have great technology, you know, try and figure out what the panfish bite is. It's not too secretive, so they should give it away. Well, I just think it's a really unique, uh, bite because, you know, it, it, like when I meant by it kind of opens up, I mean, it really opens up like a whole new playbook for musky fishing because, you know, if you're out there, you know, say it's a Saturday, um, and you're not getting stuff to move on your typical spots in the weed beds, 
Well, then if you practice and kind of get dialed in on that open water bite, then you have a whole nother kind of area to explore and to try to find fish outside of just continuously hitting, you know, your same six, seven different spots on that body of water. Um, so I feel like it just kind of opens up, opens things up throughout the day. You know, if you have a full day to fish and, you know, you start shallow and you're not seeing anything, slide off those breaks, uh, find the bait and just start casting at it just as you would as, uh, as you would a weed bed or a reef or anything like that. And I'm, I'm fully guilty of this for when we first started doing open water fishing. And that's just like anything that you just don't know and don't have any confidence in is that you just kind of end up not doing it for very long. Right. And that's just kind of what we ended up doing. We've heard, we've always heard about open water fish and then we're like, all right, we're not moving anything shallow. Let's just go out deep. And we go cast like, maybe a half a spot or a spot we're like okay we're also not seeing anything let's just go back to doing our milk run and then we also don't see anything it kind of took until we got that breakthrough fish you know like that's what it felt like once we caught one out there i mean it's the same thing with our spring send where it all made sense and where that fish should be we caught it and then all of a sudden we're like this is okay, this opened a brand new can of worms. Now we can really dive into this. Now we actually might take a full day to do this. And then that's when we really started dialing in on where these fish like to be in open water. And and you can, and those waypoints you have of those bugs are repeatable. That's another quick tip is that if you find some bugs in, in like certain areas of the lake in the mud, is keep those waypoints and and look at those spots year after year. And you're going to find multiple muskies there. Because once you find one in that open water, they're usually grouped up or that area has got quite a few. So hit those, you know, hit those spots hard and often. Yes, sir. All right, gents. I think that wraps up our episode number two of Muskies on Tap. That was a fun one. Enjoyed it as always, fellas. Till next week. Yeah, that was great. Good chatting with you guys. And uh, yeah, if anyone wants to uh, send in some more questions, that Q&A was really fun. And then additionally, you know, as far as the future of this podcast goes, um, it would be really great to get some guests on here, too. So we don't have to just listen to Brian the whole time. Uh, So if anyone, you know, wants to come on, reach out to Gus. And additionally, too, if you have a funny fishing story to share and you want to get the word out or have us talk about it. Uh, feel free to text Gus after he drops his socials and number and whatnot. Um, you know, open to hearing from the the musky community. Uh, that's kind of the goal of this. So yeah, it would be great to uh, keep getting some new listeners, some new, some new uh, voices on the podcast, but uh, yeah, thanks everyone a lot for tuning in. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you all for tuning in. I'll uh, just quick drop the socials and, and my number, you can uh, you can reach me at Suggs Fishing on Instagram. You can either add me as a friend on Facebook, Gus Manti, or follow my guide service page, which is Suggs Fishing Guide Service. Or as always, you can text, call, or leave a voicemail at 920-264-3816. We really love to hear from you guys. We want to hear your stories. We want to get your questions in. We want to hear all the feedback and everything. So thank you guys for tuning in to this week's episode. And I hope you stay tuned for our next one. Peace out, boys. Later, See you guys.